I did have a scarcity mindset then. I felt like, oh, I need to treat myself to that nice leather bag or, oh, I want that $300 young, fabulous and broke dress. And, and I, I, I see these things and I want it. And I spent so much more back then when I had so little money because I, I felt that I was being deprived. And only when I got subsidized housing was I able to take a breath. And when I stopped feeling so hungry for material things. And so I don't judge people who are broke and want to treat themselves to a Starbucks or whatever. I was there. I remember it. And the only reason I I got in a better mental state was because my threat bucket was lowered. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, founder of High Fiving Dollars. And I'm Garrett Philbin, founder of Be Awesome Not Broke. As money coaches, we want to give you space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. In this episode, we chat with Yulia Stashenko, a certified financial planner who is committed to inclusive financial planning and disability advocacy. We talk about how her disabilities and receiving government assistance has shaped her relationship with money and why she still struggles with the need to prove herself to others. We also talk about how gratitude has been instrumental in helping her be at peace with where she is and how she's found the ability to give so much to others regardless of her own circumstances. To find resources we shared in this episode, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Yulia, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. You and I met in New York as part of the Financial Planning Association of New York. And when we met, uh, we were on a committee together. I think it was for that annual event that I don't even remember the name of it right Financial now. Financial Fitness Workshop. At there F1. we go. <laughs> yes. And you were the badass speaker whose presentation I was so impressed by, even though I didn't even see it, but your slides just spoke to me. And I will pay you the $5 uh, afterward that we agreed upon <laughs> for you to you say such much. nice things. When I met you, your love for what you were doing, helping people around financial planning and around their money stuck with me. And how you approached it is very unique in the way that you are so giving in what you do. And I would just love if you can start by sharing your story and how you got to doing what you're doing right now. And then we will take it from there. If we go all the way back, I was conceived in the Bronx, New York. Let's see. <laughs> Skip forward a bit more. I guess I first became interested in financial planning, figuring out my own finances in my 20s. So right out of college, I had to confront the fact that I might not ever be able to support myself financially. So I had to plan for retirement at 22, which meant for me getting disability benefits, affordable housing, all that good stuff, and also getting my student loans forgiven. So first got my student loans forgiven. Thank you very much. TPD discharge says total and permanent disability discharge. And then I got SSI, that's Supplemental Security Income, which provides a very baseline of income. And when I was 25, my father reached 65 and he started collecting Social Security disability. 
and I was able to receive dependent benefits as a disabled adult child. And I realize I'm skipping over the whole point where I have a disability, but I've been considered legally blind since I was 15 or 16 because I've had MS since I was 14. I have secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. And so that's why I had to plan for retirement right out of college and why I was super aware of insurance coverage and all of these things from a very young age. I was going to say, those are parts you shouldn't skip over. Those are very integral to your story. Yes, yes. There's so much to me. There's so much. So yeah, um, just in terms of how MS affects me, I, aside from my, my vision, it affects both eyes. It affects my walking stamina, sensation, cognition, mood, though I'm, I'm fighting each of these and, and take it very seriously. That's my number one job is looking after my health. And it's so hard to reinforce that to others that as much as you you want me to do something for you, I have to look out for myself first. I want to bring up the idea of like retirement planning right when you got out of college. Like bring us back to that. Like how did it feel to almost have to think about those things? Because I think for many of us, we can make the assumption that when somebody's straight out of college, they're thinking about getting their first job. They're thinking about like, oh my gosh, I'm finally an adult. I can move into my own apartment. They're not necessarily thinking about the retirement aspect. But, you know, unfortunately, your situation put you in that situation. I, it was extreme despair and depression. I'm, I mean, I've been struggling with depression from the age of 19, I guess, for when I realized that I couldn't go to medical school because of my vision. But just to give you some background, I, I graduated summa cum laude from Harvard College. So I was definitely still capable. But, but after getting through my thesis, my body just fell apart. And it's actually not stress that hurts MS, but the reduction of stress. So once I got that SUMA for my thesis, my, my walking broke down. And I've already been struggling walking and so on. But it got so much worse when, when I graduated. And so I found myself pretty much homebound at, at 22, 23. And people don't they don't believe me because I look so normal. And I used to say that my greatest accomplishment was looking so normal for a homebound individual. But if they actually read the Medicare guidelines for what it means to be a homebound individual, they'll see that I don't even have to lie. And I can still meet those standards actually um, today, even though finally I can push myself in my wheelchair. What does that mean? I think it'd be really important to give listeners a description of like what that actually means, whether it's the guidelines or how that was real for you, both then and now. Well, I don't want to misstate the guidelines, but pretty much they mean that you can't go out on your own without a specific, a significant effort being made or without help from someone. So for me, that meant that I had to be pushed in a wheelchair, that I couldn't even get off my block. And often I couldn't even get out my front door because of the thresholds. I didn't have the, the strength and the balance to get above that door threshold. And often there are times when I can't even like leave my front door because of the strength and balance that requires. And so I don't expect people to, to, to know what that's like or or to know that that's how I am because you know back when I was staying in bed all day I still wore designer clothing this was back in my foolish days when I wore expensive clothing but it wasn't like I I was wearing a hospital uniform or you know I, I never looked as disabled as I was and and I'm proud of that but but it also 
worked against me and that I always had to prove that I wasn't making up, you know, excuses or exaggerating. Do you feel that need to prove yourself to others? Did that shape your relationship with money? I've always felt the need to prove myself since I was aware of myself, because as Garrett knows, I grew up, you know, with my parents were immigrants and there were six people in a one bedroom apartment. And I didn't grow up feeling that I deserved anything. I felt like I had to earn everything, which is why I had to get, you know, straight A's and be the top. It wasn't because I was competitive. I was just trying to prove that I deserve my own bed. I deserve clothing. I deserve food. And, and it's not that my parents made me feel worthless. It's just that when you're not brought up feeling that you deserve everything, then you kind of pick up that, well, you've got to earn your keep. And I, I still feel that way in a sense. I, I think I'll always have that with me. I feel like, you know, we've had conversations about money scripts on Beyond the Dollar before, and that makes total sense. Yeah. Of these are stories and these are things that are really hard to let go of. So it's not surprising to me at all that that still exists today. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've gone through years of therapy, no embarrassment about that, but it's, it's just ingrained in my, in my, my mind. I, I don't know. It, it's easier to fight MS than it is to fight these notions about ourselves. And I'm working on, I'm getting better, but it's, it's a work in progress. What's insane for me is, you know, when I met you, you were volunteering on this committee and you're also part of the FPA and volunteering there on a larger scale. And you have so many physical challenges, right? And you also have some mental stories and things that you're processing as we all do, but just like how you are able to give yourself to others, because you also donate much or almost all of your time to other people pro bono. Can you share more about like how you do the work that you do? Because that to me is like, I can't even think of doing that as a normal, able-bodied, super privileged white hetero male. And it's just like, how the freaking <laughs> hell? I will, I, there, our podcast is only about a half hour long, so I don't have enough time to go into all of it that it deserves. But for me, it's just like, how the hell do you do that? How do you even approach that? And that's what I'm really interested of, like, how to get out into that place when you are in the position that you are in, when you have that disability. Well, I've been given so much. I mean, I, though my parents were immigrants, they're both college educated. They went to the best colleges in their country. So that's an incredible privilege. I, I have a supportive partner who accepts me not being able to walk, but also encourages me whenever I fail. He's, he's taught me that it's okay to fail, which is something I've really struggled with all my life, really, is, is failing. That was my greatest challenge. And I, I mean, I have this subsidized apartment in, in Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan. I, I'm so fortunate in so many ways. And so I feel like I have nothing more to take from others. All I can do is give, really. I, and I, I wish I could give more. But unfortunately, right now, you know, looking after my health takes a couple hours a day in terms of exercise and in terms of mental well-being, connecting with others. And then I have my financial planning. But So it's only a part-time job for me. But I, I feel grateful that I, I have any energy to give to others, really. That is so badass. I love that. Sorry, I just, I'm like, I love it. I have no questions. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> I, I, I guess I, I'm, even though I am not a white hetero male, I, I'm super aware of my privilege. 
And even just being able to find a supportive partner as someone with a disability. I know many people with MS and, and they don't have a supportive partners. And just women in general without disabilities, it's tough dating in New York. And somehow I've, I've not had a problem with that. And so that in itself is a miracle, I would say. I'm not, I'm not a miracle, <laughs> but it's really tough dating in New York. Yeah, I'll second that one. Okay. Yeah, at least yeah. we can connect on that. That was that was not the easiest, especially as someone who had commitment issues. You know, that's a twofer right there. But gratitude—that's something you mentioned multiple times, and just it's interesting. My assumption when I said, "Oh, but based on you having a disability, that's something I couldn't understand." I cannot mentally like put myself in your shoes and understand what you're going through. And so I say, oh, that must be hard. That must be a challenge. That must be X, Y, and Z. And so I make assumptions. And yet then you come back and say, but I have so much to be grateful for. Oh, I mean, a friend once said that like, if I didn't know you better, I think you were saying that you were like being sarcastic and saying you're just so overwhelmingly grateful. But I, I, I mean, not grateful, but, but fortunate. And I am overwhelmingly fortunate. Even just having two eyes and all my limbs and and still being able to walk with with you know effort and being able to go to the bathroom i mean you're aware of a lot of tmi things as someone with ms there's so many little things that are an accomplishment just going to the bathroom on my own is huge and i yes i, I imagine you have that privilege yourself Karen. you know sometimes sometimes it is a little hard i'm not gonna lie you have a couple extra drinks and you're like i could really use some assistance but that's really the extent but yeah i think be having that perspective right and so knowing how challenging it is to do things that other people take for granted, you're then able to find gratitude in those moments. And I think that's something that everyone, myself and Sarah included, can really take away. Just say no matter what we feel, there is always something to acknowledge and be grateful for. Always. There is time and space and money to give even when we don't feel like we can. Yes, especially if you don't have money, you, you always have your time and your energy, your resources, your education. I was lucky enough to be able to understand all this jargon for disability and not need a lawyer. I just, you know, applied myself and it never even occurred to me to hire a lawyer because even if I was physically challenged, I still had my education. That's just so awesome. I want to circle back to the pro bono work that you do. Can you describe a little bit about... Um what it is that you help people with? Well, the, the first, <laughs> the first um, pro bono meeting I was uh, a part of, I attended by conference call and they mentioned that they wanted a champion for Dress for Success. And later I wrote to the director, Tom Chu, and said, I'll do it. You know, Dress for Success, I actually attended an event of theirs. They're, the first year they were in existence, over 20 years ago, let's see, I was 15. And this was through the affirmative action program that got me into private school on scholarship prep for prep, which helps under um, disadvantaged children of color attend private schools. And so I, I was eager to help out uh, with Just for Success. And then this is how I met Garrett, really, is that he agreed to be one of our financial planners in this one-on-one um, -on -one mentoring program for long, long-time Just for Success clients. And then the other program I'm, I'm a part of is I'm champion of the FPA's work with Center for Independence of the Disabled New York. And I helped arrange a series of seminars, and this is ongoing, 
both for its clients and also for, they have 20 new benefits counselors who needed to be trained in how to be a financial counselor. And this was kind of overwhelming for me because I, I hardly had experience. I just done the education for accredited financial counselor, which I learned of through Garrett. And, and here I was teaching other people how to be a financial counselor, which is kind of funny. So, so yeah, that, that's pretty much. Um, and then I, I help clients one-on-one through the Office of Financial Empowerment and Neighborhood Trust also sends me clients. Any client with a disability, they send my way and I'm able to help them. Often it's a a client who gets a lump sum, whether through a small lottery winning or a malpractice lawsuit or an inheritance. And people do actually win the lottery, but you know, just 20, 30,000 just, but it's still life-changing for a lot of people. And that's how I get my clients really. And so I don't have to advertise or put myself out there or put up a sign on the, in Times Square. They come to me. <laughs> and what I love from that is that you showing up authentically as who you are allows them to then send people who you can truly help and serve to you. And it allows you to then attract the people who you would be best able to help. It's like you said, you're not doing any marketing, but it's just you showing up in a way that's authentic to you, giving back in a way that's important to you, then allows you to do the work with the people that really matter. Yeah, I think in a way it's easy for me to be authentic because I use a wheelchair outdoors. So people know from the get-go without my saying a word, no matter how healthy I look, that there's something up with me, even if they think it's, it's not just a car accident, but even if they, they don't realize it's from an illness. And so that kind of, I guess, makes me more approachable to my clients, which really helps. And it does I feel give me a legitimacy that I've been there before, that I've applied for S- you know, SSI and SSDI, that I've applied for food stamps, that I've applied for affordable housing and, and loan discharge. I've been there and not just from a pedestal of, oh, I learned this at NYU. And not that there's anything wrong with learning something at NYU. I, 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 I do not put down education. I apologize. No apology needed. You mentioned that you have been on SSI. And yes. That, yeah. And that from an income standpoint, I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast, but we've been in communication is that that it's not like that's a lot of money. No, back then. Oh, I'd have to check my records, but it was under $700 at the time. It's, it's tough. But again, I was privileged in that I had parents who could help me out. Because my rent at the time was $1,600. So obviously, I mean, when I, I, I lived with my, my boyfriend at the time, so, um, so I contributed $800. So more than my SSI went towards rent. And I was, so, so I can't say, oh, I've, I've made ends meet on $700. Now, over time, I was able to cut down my budget so that I could manage on $800 a month. I, I was able to, but it didn't come immediately. The reason I asked that question was not to just like put a number out there, but to give people some perspective of, you know, I work with clients who make $150,000 a year in New York and they're like, I can't figure out how to not spend $1,000 going out. And that's not to say you are better than them or they are worse any way, shape or form, but it's simply saying money is always, that's a blank statement, money is often at the forefront of people's minds and it's a really big concern for them. And it happens just at so many levels, right? People making $150,000 and then you trying to figure out how to live at $800 a month, which blows my freaking mind. I could show you my budget one day. <laughs> We'd and love to see that. And then my mind will literally be blown. <laughs> but like, 
how do you manage, I guess people have this feeling of, I don't have enough, right? Or I need more. And just how have you navigated that? It sounds like you've, you're able to make it work. And just how have you done that? Because I think that's something that, I mean, even for me right now, I'm like, how the hell do you do that? Well, a, how do you I physically don't do live? it alone. Obviously, it's thanks to the federal government and New York State and New York City's generous support. And so I, I have my health care covered through Medicare and Medicaid. I, I, I have a subsidized rent. So I'm paying like a sixth of the market rate in my apartment. So it's not like I'm just, oh, I, I can somehow manage to find an apartment in Hell's Kitchen for, for under $600 a month. No, it's, it's thanks to the, the government as, as evil a, a thought as that is for some people. I mean, that's how I get by. I would say deservedly so, because it's it's not like it's as easy for you to work a 10-hour day that some other people can't. No, it would, it would make me bed-bound. And that's what people don't see is, is the effect it would have on me. Like, I've been through a lot of stress recently, and it made my body break out in rashes, and I had a relapse last week. And they call this decompensation in social security parlance, where just working takes a toll on you. And, and and I guess people don't see that is they think I have it so easy, but I, I'm trying slowly to do more and more and to, and to push myself. But unfortunately, if it's not based on my abilities, if it, if it comes from outside what I need to do, then it really takes a toll on my body. And I think I've forgotten your question. I apologize. No apology needed. I actually veered off a little bit from it as well. The original question is just how do you approach this from a standpoint of I have enough? Again, someone at $150,000 feels this challenge of how am I going to have enough? I don't have enough. And just how have you figured out how to navigate that voice in your head? Well, I, I have to say it's easier to, to tell myself I have enough now that I have financial security. That I, I referred to having, to wearing designer outfits in bed back in my 20s when I lived in a walk-up, a third floor walk-up. And I did have a scarcity mindset then. I felt like, oh, I need to treat myself to that nice leather bag or, oh, I want that $300 young, fabulous and broke dress. And, and I, I, I see these things and I want it. And, and I spent so much more back then when I had so little money because I felt that I was being deprived. And only when I got subsidized housing was I able to take a breath. And when I stopped feeling so hungry for material things. And so I don't judge people who are broke and want to treat themselves to a Starbucks or whatever. I was there. I remember it. And the only reason I, I got in a better mental state was because my threat bucket was lowered. So I guess you just have to get into a better headspace first to see that you have enough. And, and that's easier said than done, unfortunately. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Is there a way that somebody can start taking baby steps to start feeling better or less threatened about their financial situation? Well, this is something that you mentioned in an earlier podcast is journaling. I feel it really helps. I don't keep an Oprah gratitude journal, but I often reflect on and write about what I'm grateful for. 
And, and I think we, we always have to remind ourselves of what we have because it's so easy to forget because of the hedonic cycle. We get used to our lives, but I am still so grateful to have this one bedroom apartment. It, it's, it's a miracle, really. And I, I know my friends out of state have, have their six bedrooms and their, their guest cottages, but, but this is a miracle. I don't know how you learn to be grateful. I guess, I, I, I guess to be brought up thinking that you deserve nothing, and then you'll be grateful for everything. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, don't try that at home, though. <laughs> Sarah, you want to try that one on, on Logan, on your little uh, I'm sure I'll just take away all his toys and yeah. everything, and we'll just live in our backyard. <laughs> I mean, what this is bringing up for me is just how important it is to get I was about to say, get up in other people's shit again. Uh, I said this a few episodes ago. But to understand and be in conversation with what is truly going on for people. Because in this conversation, I am learning more about you, Yulia, and realizing just More than how, you ever wanted to know. Guys. No, that is not a true statement. That is not true. I'm <laughs> just learning more and realizing as I get to know you, it allows me to see things that I am grateful for in my life. And realizing how incredibly amazing and complex you are as another human being. And it gets me out of my own shit right? where I have my fears and my worries that, yeah, there are some that are legitimate and a lot that aren't. And it just that connection, that being able to hear someone else's story that and there are parts that I really connect with in yours. And I'm like, I hear myself in those mental struggles or in those stories that I yeah. get into. And so just you know, that ability to get out of myself and hear someone else to me is another good practice to be able to then feel like it's not all just about me and to get out of that scarcity mindset and that I'm behind and that I always need to be doing more. And it, it just gratitude automatically comes from connection. At, at least that's what I'm feeling right now. Yes, and I do not underestimate the challenges of being a small business owner. I feel you and Sarah have it so much more difficult than I. I don't have to do anything for my this disability. This is so benefit. ridiculous for me to and hear. So this is so, so ridiculous for me to hear. I mean, I like I. It, it's I, I. I just think it's amazing what you do, and and I can't say, oh, I could do that. I I've never tried it, and and so I'm in awe of you both. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think Garrett appreciates that too. Yeah. When I like stop from tearing up over here, yeah, I'll probably give you a better answer. <laughs> we have no time for Mexican fishermen, I suppose. We absolutely do. Yes. Yes. Come on now. Share it. I don't like how this is about the American businessmen and the Mexican fishermen. So, so let's just leave the ethnicities behind. Perfect. A businessman visits a small fishing village and he sees this fisherman who's relaxing on the beach, hanging out with his family, spending time with his kids. And he asks the fisherman about his day. And the fisherman says, well, I go fishing at, at before the, the sun goes out, I get, it comes out, I guess. And then uh, I spend the rest of my day just enjoying my time at home. And then the Businessman says, well, imagine how much better your life would be if you started a, I guess, fishing conglomerate or, and you, you hired people and, and you'd make so much money and then you could retire in a year. And the fisherman says, well, well, and 
then what would I do? And, he, and the, the businessman says, well, then you could spend time with your family and your children and relax on the beach. And the fisherman says, well, isn't that my life right now? And so there are two endings to this story that I've tracked down because it fascinates me. One is that the fisherman could be helping so many more people if he did start a business. That it's actually selfish of him to just think about his family and his kids and his time at the beach, that he could start a nonprofit and help thousands of struggling fishermen and, and people who don't have enough time for their children. And the other t interpretation is that the businessman just doesn't understand that the fisherman already has the good life. And so how you interpret it is up to you, but just based on my own background or my own experiences, I, I prefer to think of it as the fisherman already lives the good life and it's up to the businessman to see that. Yeah. And so that then shows up in how you are living your life as well. Yes. And it might not be the life I expected or the life others hope for themselves, but it's good for me. And I am, I'm not complacent. I, I am trying to push myself. It's just that I don't want anyone else pushing me because I'm ambitious and driven enough. I have enough of a track record to prove that. I mean, if I had to, but, but you know, I'm, I'm doing things at my own time, even though I might be looking like I'm lolling at the beach and you will never see me at the beach. I hate sand, but <laughs> the proverbial beach. None of us on the podcast, especially listeners, would ever think that you're being complacent or that you don't push yourself enough and you don't have to prove anything to us. It's hard because I'm, I'm so afraid of being seen as lazy or not ambitious. But yeah, when, when, I, when I, I push myself beyond what I can do, ugly things happen, both in my brain and on my skin, <laughs> in my mobility. So trying not to get ugly. And what I would say is if anyone does think that, then it's simply a reflection of the work that they have to do on themselves and not a reflection on actually like who you are as a person. I just want to put that out there. Yes, I'm, I'm always imagining the worst when thinking about how others see me. And so that's, that's an ongoing challenge for me. Well, let me say that I see you as a beautiful, whole, complete, badass human. Um, who I have white hetero male approval. <laughs> yes, that's it. All right. Yeah. And, and with that, you can just go off. No, no, you aren't joking. You have now been blessed. You can go out into the world. Your life will be perfect. And honestly, I have just graced another guest with the beauty of a perfect, soon to be perfect life. You're welcome. Sarah, anything else you want to add before I go out and just make this magic happen to other less fortunate people than myself? No. <laughs> Again, just, just thank you. We are both so grateful for the opportunity to have this chat with you. We truly are. And thank you for inviting me into your closet. <laughs> she got called out i love it that's okay the i mentioned closet i mentioned being go. in a closet on another podcast so it's fine <laughs> okay. it's the only place her son can't find her yes it's great it's like a hide and go seek game where she hides in the same place every time i love it <laughs> yulia thank you so much this is a total pleasure take care all right everyone thank you so much today for checking us out. If you have been with us for a while, you know that we always have a wrap-up question. We would love to hear from you. You can check us out on Instagram at Beyond the Dollar or Twitter at Beyond Dollar Pod. So today's wrap-up question is, what is one thing that you are grateful for right now? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Dollar. 
If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. And if you can think of one awesome human who would connect with what we talked about today, we'd love you forever if you shared this episode with them. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar.